Good to be with you this morning. Always good to renew acquaintances. As I mentioned, uh, I was here maybe nine years ago, something like that, for a meeting. It's good to see familiar faces and also a lot of new faces. Congregations change very rapidly. That's true where we're at uh, with the day of economy and people moving. And it's good to have traveling visitors with us. Very encouraging. Um, the series we're doing this weekend is on God. And so far, we have been talking about the nature of God and what is we find within his character of why we would pray, why we would sing, um, why we would give. We're now going to be shifting into the obligations of how our response in our heart is crucial for the, for God to profit us, that we, we, we're going to see Obviously, if we're thinking about the nature of God, if we're seeing his character, I think that will change us if we meditated on it and take those words. But we've got to get to the point before God can really bless us is we've got to reach a, a mindset of devotion and repentance, a daily repentance. And so now we're going to talk about the word of God, but we're going to be emphasizing the heart of man here of how God wants to bless us and provide for us. But he, there's only one way Christianity is going to work. There's only one way we're going to be blessed by God, and that is by true commitment. Over and over, Jesus in his ministry deliberately let people struggle. He would deliberately let people have a question and let them struggle with it. And there are times he would make statements that would shock people. And there were people who walked out on Jesus. In John 6, we see many walked out on Jesus. Jesus wants us to be saved. But he understands there's only one path there. It's going to take a certain kind of heart. It's going to take a certain kind of commitment. And over and over, in many ways, John Luke 9 is one example of many passages Jesus gives. Listen to the challenge. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Take up your cross. That's an act of death. That's an act of torment. That's an act of, of complete sacrifice. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If you're going to be a Christian, you can't be halfway. And again, we, we can recognize our weaknesses. When somebody has weaknesses, that doesn't mean they're halfway. If somebody's struggling, it doesn't mean they're halfway, okay? But the idea here is the, is the idea of a, of a commitment to God. Jesus wants everybody to be saved. He loves them. And there are some things that will not change. Jesus or God will not save you if you do not have a heart of repentance. There is no salvation without repentance. And repentance takes a focus. It takes an honesty. And that's really the essence of my sermon this morning. He wanted to expose hypocrisy. He wanted each of us to see our hearts. And by the way, that's the goal of any teacher. The goal of when some people say, what's your goal in teaching somebody? Is, are you, is your lesson a success if you baptize them? I said, well, that, that would be a success if they truly are baptized. But that's not the only way I judge success. We talked about that yesterday in 2 Corinthians 2. I consider if you can get a heart open and somebody sees themselves and they make a decision, that's good teaching, even if they say no, even if they get mad at me. You say you want the Word of God to open a heart, and then each person has to make a decision. And so in Luke 18, we, we made reference to this yesterday, and by the way, we will briefly touch on some verses. Some will go into more detail. We talked about the rich young ruler. 
And Jesus looked at this rich young ruler and says, there's one thing you lack. Okay, one thing. You know, I've been keeping the commandments. One thing. Okay, this ought to be easy. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to them, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Wait just a minute. Why did you tell him sell everything he's got? You're not telling everybody that. You know what Jesus knew? You got to give up everything you have in your heart. In this case, this guy, the riches were going to keep him from having a full commitment heart. And guess what he needed to do? He needed to sell all that he had. And so basically Jesus says, you know, we're talking about you got to take up your cross. All of us have to give up all that we have. Not, not literally sell all that we have. In some cases we may need to. But it's the idea of whatever's keeping you from a full commitment to God... And now this man was sorrowful in verse 23. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus wanted this young man to be saved. He wanted this. What about you and me? Do we have a heart that is really committed? And again, I'm not trying to create a bunch of guilt. Because a lot of times people struggle with their, have their view of themselves. A faithful Christian is saying, Lord, show me my heart. I'm going to give my best. And when I fall down, I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep pursuing you. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about commitment. And so Jesus was very honest with the churches uh, in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia. Of course, you read about the rebuke that was given to one church. He basically says, you know, you're worldly. <laughs> and matter of fact, I wish you were hot or cold. You know, he says, right now, I'm sick of you. You make me throw up. He literally said that about one church. But why did he speak in that language? He wanted people to get their minds right. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chase them. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We use that for an invitation to non-Christians. Verse 20 is an invitation to Christians. Get your mind back right. You drifted. You're playing religion. You're playing church. You're comfortable. You're not changing. And there is the challenge to the church for me and you. We, we all have to keep our minds active in saying, Lord, I know I've got more steps to take. Do not become satisfied where you're at. That is not the place to be. I do not want to be a worldly professor, a worldly uh, professing following Christ. And so we've already mentioned about Revelation 3.15 where he talks about how he would spew you out of his mouth. And so Jesus doesn't give up on us. They say, I'm there, Larry. Right now I've lost my spirit. I'm not studying. I'm miserable. You know what? I'm glad you could see that. If you see that, and we all at times, we all at times will be there like, yeah, I'm just not where I ought to be. You know what? I'm glad you see it. Because we can change. We can change. And changing is not somehow turning on the switch and then we're perfect from here on out. No, no. Changing is turning on the switch and getting back in the fight. Getting back into the reading of God's Word. Getting back to taking the next step. And that's where the Lord wants all of us to be. Have this attitude. So let's talk about Bible study. Do you know some of the most difficult people that I have to teach in a, a local church? 
can be those who have the most knowledge. Not necessarily. Now, if somebody's got the most knowledge and they've got a humble heart, they're going to be some of the greatest students you ever want to listen to, to, to have listened to you. As a matter of fact, they'll teach you a lot of things. But you see, our attitude toward God's Word, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, here's going to be the key word that um, I'm using in this lesson. I, we talk about single-minded devotion to the Word of God. I'm really basing this on a word in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. And we'll look at this context broad, more broadly in a moment. But here Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. He says, But I fear somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, our English word, simplicity, some people look at that, oh, the gospel's easy to understand, it's not difficult to understand, it's simple. That's not what this word means here. This word simplicity from the Greek literally means a single-minded devotion. It's not how easy it is to understand. It is somebody is serious. They want to know. They want to hear. They want to learn. There is the thrust of the lesson. We need to have that single-minded devotion, that simplicity when it comes to the Word of God. And if you look at the Greek lexicon, it means singleness, simplicity, sincerity, mental honesty. The virtue of one who is free from pretense or dissimulation. Brethren, it's easy to pretend. It's easy to coast on what you know. It's easy to have a certain set of facts and you say, I have arrived. And you're in a bad place when that happens. Some of the people who treated Jesus the worst, who the greatest persecutors of Jesus, were people who should have been the scholars and the most knowledgeable people in the Word of God. And just be mindful of that. When you have a lot of the knowledge of the Word of God and you, you lack a heart of commitment, you are a danger. You can do terrible things within the church and terrible things to others. But again... If we maintain that single-minded devotion, we'll be humble, we'll be changing, we'll be gentle, we'll have the kind of heart that Jesus wants us to have. Look at 1 Peter 2, 1-3. through 3. Look at this verse. I'm going to take a little time with it. The, the lesson's quite simple, but it's beautiful. You know, one of the things we've been doing, and I, I know we talked with Paul some yesterday, and you have been talking about some of the others that y'all are working with. It has been fascinating in our meet-up readings to get people to read the Bible for the first time on their own. And to watch them get excited about reading. It has been one of the most enjoyable things going to Charlottesville. I've told people that's kind of changed my life. There's weekly Bible readings and we've had different groups of people that have come and some that are now attending the church. And we started with just reading the Bible. And you know, I was thinking, well, I've been a Christian. I've read these verses. Every time we go to one of these readings, I almost always learn something new. And I'm saying, I'm glad our members are going. But here we got those that aren't members. And it's been like, wow, you know, getting excited again about reading God's Word. Looking, what am I going to learn today? You may have already read the chapter a hundred times. It's amazing as you get back and you do the hundred first time of how things come out. There's our attitude. I love to read my Bible. I love to look at the Word. I want to learn something new. I want to see something in my life that I need to change. 1 Peter 2, 1. 
It says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You know, sometimes people read this, new Christians, you know, they're babes in Christ, they ought to love the Word of God. Yeah, that's a true statement, but that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying what every Christian ought to be. I love the sound of children in the local church. I know sometimes parents go, oh, I'm worried about noise. I think it's music to me, so I like that. But it's interesting as you have a young child and the young child wanting to, to have food, a newborn babe wanting the milk. We should always be that way with God's Word. Now notice in this context, you put away some things, you desire some things. In verse 3, this is going to go back to the earlier lessons we studied. This links what we studied Friday and Saturday to today. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious... I hope in our study already we can understand God loves me. I hope already you are in love with God. I speak of in love, not in a romantic love, but in a committed love of seeing what He's done for Him. Us, He loves us. We, we love Him because He first loved us. 1 John 4, 17. Let me illustrate this. I heard the story, I'm sure it's fictitious, about a girl, that single girl. She went to a yard sale and Bought a book for a dollar. She took it home, started reading it, and it was dry as cardboard. It was one of those boring books she ever read. She got a few chapters in it, and she put it at the bottom of her closet. And the next yard sale, she was probably going to sell it for a quarter or give it away. And you know something happened that changed her attitude toward that book. It just as happenstance came that she ended up meeting the guy that wrote the book. She didn't know she had wrote the book. And they ended up falling in love. And she came to greatly appreciate the man who wrote the book. And guess what? She found out she was an author. He was an author. And oh, I have his book. And you know what? She started reading that book again. And it was one of the most interesting books she's ever read. What made the difference? She fell in love with the author. And I want to tell you, the Bible, if you, without our, without a lot of background, the Bible can be very boring. It's not boring, but it can be very boring if you're first reading it and you don't know much about God. But when you know the character of God, wow. There's my point. Love God. Have a heart that has a passion for God and His Word will be powerful. But again, the danger we face sometimes is becoming slackers. I remember working with O'Neill Steele. My dad got me a job with O'Neill Steele back when I first got out of high school. And I got paid union wages. Now I was like, that was like three times minimum wage. I remember going, boy, I still remember the excitement of that. And they had me do work and I would do, I mean, I would just work myself to death. I, I, cause I was making money I'd never make. I worked from Jack's Hamburgers to O'Neill Steel. And so I really brought home some money that, that, the few summers. But you know, there's some people that take a job and they're slackers. Okay, if you're looking at me, I'll do it, but if not, and don't be a slacker. I'm not talking about just the work. 
here in the context of Colossians 3, it talks about people being eye service. But don't be, be eye service in serving God. I'm going to come to the assemblies. I'm going to show you my Bible knowledge. And then the rest of the week, we do what we want to do when we don't even crack our Bibles open. We don't even meditate on God's Word. Don't be a slacker in that sense. What does simplicity look like? Let me give you an example. How do we hear? How do we hear? When we read God's Word or we hear a sermon, how do we hear? Let me give you an example. Mark 14. Jesus makes this statement in the presence of the disciples at the introduction of the Lord's Supper. In Mark 14, 18, it says, Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Now think about that. If you're sitting there with Jesus, one of you is going to betray me. If you take that seriously, what do you do? Well, I sure hope you find out who it is. Who is going to be going to do that? No, that's not what they did. I sure hope whoever it is, he's preaching at him. Go for it. No, that's not how they did it. And they began to be sorrowful and said to him one by one, is it I? Do you understand what's happening here? They didn't think they were going to betray him. But Jesus says, you may betray me. And Jesus said those words. They opened up their heart. The first thing they looked at is ourselves. You have humble people who love God and are zealous, and the first thing they do, I want to see myself. Where am I? There's what single-minded devotion looks like. And another says, is it I? It's interesting you go to the Old Testament. There was a time in the history of the people of God, as amazing as it may sound, they lost the Scriptures. They didn't have the Scriptures. They, they had just ignored it. They kept up, kept, uh, just neglected reading it, and it finally got put away, so to speak, in the bottom of that closet and covered up. And they started reforming the temple, cleansing the temple, and the book of the law was found. In 2 Kings 22.8, it talks about finding the book of the law, and then they read that in the presence of Josiah. Then Shapan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book and Shapan read it, read it before the king. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Oh no! God said if we do this as a nation, this is what he's going to do. He heard it personally. Was he the only one that heard it? Single-minded devotion. First off, I look at me. Because I love my God. My God will forgive me. I, I, I'm not approaching the Word of God like, oh no, I'm going to get a whipping. No, no. I love God. He's going to show me some things. I'm going to have a greater joy, a greater peace. You see, when we know God, we're not afraid to see ourselves. And there's the struggle with a lot of people with Bible study. Some people, they get guilty at everything. Oh, no. And it's kind of like, oh, I'm terrible, I'm bad. No, 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 you're missing the point. You see your weaknesses and you see God's love and His patience and His care. But anyway, it's really important as we know the character of God, we're not afraid to change. You look at the early church, 
you read about initially there's 3,000 baptized in verse 41, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. You see, not just in the assembly. They were zealous at all times. They were getting together in one another's homes. They were doing other things. They loved to be together. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food. Now notice, here's our word again with gladness and simplicity of heart. There's something about being committed and giving your all that's just joyful. And you love to be with other people. They've got that joy. And we don't have to have a bunch of numbers, do we, Brian? We don't have to have a bunch of numbers to have that. By the way, I'll be honest with you, I like coming to small churches. You build a good environment in a small church... I don't know. I'm just saying I've been at both sizes, you know, but some people, when I was in Auburn a few years ago, I was at a, some, some retreat and I was talking about how much I enjoy small churches and people looked at me and said, are you going to leave Auburn? I said, well, I didn't say that. I said, but I'm sincere in that, that when you've got a small group and get to know one another, numbers don't matter. People who have a zealous love for God and sincerity, that's what matters. You'll have things in a group like this you won't get in a large group. Yeah, it depends on how you handle it. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting off topic a little bit. But there's something about having that kind of people. How do they think? Who do they want to be around? One of the things I oftentimes do in, in our assemblies, sometimes our assemblies we may have, we can have 40 there. Sometimes we may have 50. And you know what I know? Because I think I know our group. I don't worry about the fluctuation in numbers. You know why? Because I know everybody wants to be there. I really believe that. There may be some exceptions, but it, I, and, I, and I don't worry about that because I know that when you've got a certain kind of heart. And so what I'm saying this morning, as you look at God and you understand His character, let's make sure we are alive and not dead. That we're not lukewarm, you know, there was the tongue-tied preacher one time. He was trying to quote Matthew twenty sixteen, which says, "Few are called." Uh, and, and, I mean, uh, many are called, but few are chosen. And he got tongue-tied. He says, "Many are cold, and few are frozen." You know, I hope that won't be the local church. You know, that we want to be on fire and zealous. Examine yourself whether you are in the faith, brethren. Sometimes as you look at yourself in the mirror, you're going to think, well, man, what's God going to do with me? I've got some struggles that I've battled all my life. By the way, we all do. Okay? I'll never change. Don't ever say that I'll never change. Because let me tell you what God says I've got on your side. I've got a powerful word that is more powerful than anything. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. We've been talking about the creation in the universe, the vastness of the universe. We've got the power of God. Making the universe is nothing compared to changing a man's heart. That's hard. And God says, I got you. I got the power that'll do that. If you'll trust me. I love 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth the word of God, now notice, which also effectively works in you who believe. Did you know that many times the most intelligent, educated people 
are the ones that oftentimes fall and fail and are deceived. We'll be talking about deception this afternoon. You know why that's so? Pride. The humble person who knows he doesn't know much but knows he needs God and he really trusts God, he or she really trusts God, there's a power in that. There's a power in that. That Words are hard to describe. We all can have that power. It's nothing wrong being educated, okay? It's not, nothing wrong with being raised in the church and having a lot of knowledge, but let's make sure we are humble and letting that power work within us. Nothing can, can defeat this power. In Isaiah 55, you say again, do we accept it as God's word? God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Later on in that context, he points out this in verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. You know, sometimes in these studies, I know Paul and I were talking the other day, sometimes you may get initial negative reaction by some. Don't view that as a negative thing. View that as a positive thing. Sometimes the ones that give me some pushback early are the ones that actually change. Sometimes as the Word of God is exposed to a heart and they start fighting you a little bit, that Word of God may be actually penetrating. It's interesting. It just, I'm just telling you, just keep teaching, keep inviting them. But God's Word will, you know, again, there's two reactions. Absolute rejection is an acceptable response and being yielding to God's Word is an acceptable response. Here's the only thing that can limit it, brethren. Here is the only thing. Here, that infinite power God says. Here it is. It'll work. It'll never fail. We are the limiting factor. Hebrews 4 talks about the, the Jews uh, in the wilderness. God appeared to them by night, a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud by day. They had the temple. They saw the Red Sea part. You think, man, somebody with all those external things, they're going to be the most dedicated people in the world. Guess what? God doesn't do it all. I don't accept Calvinism where God sends a divine hypodermic needle down and makes you into something. We must make a choice. And in verse 1, therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of us seem to have come short of this. For indeed the gospel is preached to us as it was to them. He's talking about those in the wilderness in the Old Testament. But the word which they heard did not profit them. What? Larry, you said the word of God's perfect. It'll always provide what God wants, yeah? And you may be on the rejection side and that happens. You're not profited. God's word still works. But if you're on the receiving side, it'll profit you. What's the difference? Not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. Build your faith, brethren. Get junk out of your life. Be around people that'll build your faith. We've already talked about the rich young ruler. He, he, he let his riches jump. We were talking about yesterday, James 1. Talked about the implanted word. Remember we talked about that? How the word becomes part of you? But now look at verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forget what kinds of man he was. Let me go back to a point I raised earlier. What do you do when you hear something and go, I needed that? What do you do? Tell you a story. When I was a kid, I remember 
There was one show my mother watched on TV that I enjoyed watching. Now, I'm giving you my age, and so we got a few that might still remember this, but some may, I may get the point, my, some of my illustrations will be beyond the whole audience now. But this is back in the 60s. There was a program called The Galloping Gourmet, and he would prepare food. Good, I see some heads. Okay, remember that. And you know, as a kid, why I loved to watch that, that show? He would tell you how to cook it and how to do it. I had no interest in that. I just thought about it when it came out of the oven, how I'd like to eat it. <laughs> and so I want to tell you, I watched that show, but I wasn't serious about actually doing it. And of course, you know, as a kid, that's right. I, I was not going to do any cooking. But sometimes it's like that way. You can look at Ezekiel where God, you know, basically told Ezekiel, yeah, oh yeah, they'd love to hear you. Oh yeah, you're, you're, you're a beautiful instrument to them. Maybe it was Jeremiah. I can't remember what one of the prophets. They'd love to hear you, but they're not going to do anything about it. I can make my first parent Christian. I took notes. And I try to do that now. You know, if I want to remember, now by the way, I'm giving you outlines, so again, that's one of the reasons I give out outlines. I'm hoping that if I, even if, if you get a few things, you can take something home with you and look at it. But see, it doesn't matter just what we get in the assembly, that's our first step. But what do we take home with us? And so there's the challenge. And so, um, Mark 4.19. You've heard lessons like this, but it's really important. The Word of God is powerful. But the Word of God has to be mixed by faith, and you've got to have some wisdom. Brethren, some of you may be like me, and like others. Sometimes we do too much. We schedule too much. We take on too much. And then as you get older, you know, your body will say, I'm sorry, you're not doing that anymore. You know, but sometimes the body restricts you. But spiritually, did you know we can overcommit? In Mark 4.19... And the cares of this world, here's talking about the parable of the sower. The cares of this world, the deceitful of richness, and the desires for other things enter it, and notice, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Brethren, we may need to pull some weeds. God's word is powerful, but we can be doing too much. And I'm talking about just maybe good things, but we just get ourselves stretched thin and it's hard to even think about what the next day is going to be. And so I'm just saying, you've got to make this choice here. Are you having enough time where you have time to meditate on God's Word and read God's Word? But I've got this, 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 and I understand. And brethren, I understand sometimes you have emergencies that hit. Somebody's in the hospital. There's this health issue. There's these bills issues. There's work issues that come up. I recognize for short term sometimes things like that happen. But please pull weeds. Because in the parable of the sower, a lot of times the, 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 the seed came up and it died immediately. There were two plants that lasted. One didn't bear fruit and one did bear fruit. You want to be with the one that bears fruit. Again, that's a whole other lesson here. Let's keep reading. Okay. Um, I want to talk about deception now some. A little bit. I think I've already covered in planning. Now let's talk about this one. Look at the context of 2 Corinthians 11.2, and I'll be developing this again this afternoon. Here Paul says, look, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I might present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now here's the verse we read earlier. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, 
so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now look at verse 4. For, for if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted. Now let's look at this point. You may well put up with it. We're talking about the church. We're talking about somebody coming and preaching another gospel. And here's a whole group of people. Oh, that was interesting. Never heard that before. We're open-minded and it's just good. You're okay. I'm okay. Everybody's okay. This is a great danger in the church. When you start studying the Word of God, I'm not saying you become the, the person that becomes just an arrogant person loving to argue. I'm not saying that. But I am saying you come to understand, and when you understand truth and error is taught, you don't just leave it there. Follow me what I'm saying. You discern. And you understand that sometimes good people start going down and getting wrong thoughts planted. Again, we're going to have a whole lesson on that this afternoon. We're talking about deception within the church. When you have people that have a love for God and a single-minded devotion and somebody else is drifting and they have that single-minded devotion, guess what? Hey, hey, we need to look at that. Let's study that. Let's look at that. Here's, here, here's some influences here. Let's take the Word of God very seriously and make sure we're going down the right path. Brethren, the church is struggling in this area today. We're afraid to have any disagreement. We're afraid to work out any problems. People are, are so fearful that I don't want to be oppressive that we end up running away from solving our problems. Oftentimes it's personal problems with people that need to be dealt with. If you don't deal with things in a local congregation, you end up with a mess. And sometimes it's doctrinal problems. And that's where mature leadership comes as well. But anyway, this is really important. You know what I find sometimes people say, oh well, that's, you know, he's taught that, but there's no big deal. Let's just let it go. You know what's happened when you say that? Lord may have taught on this and said you ought to believe this, but I'm going to let it go. Now, wait, wait, wait. I didn't say that. Well, yeah, you do. And brethren, I'm not saying we agree on everything. Matter of fact, I would be very disappointed if you agree with me on everything. Disagreement will be a part of the church, but there is a way to handle our differences. And there's a way to reason. Understand there's some things we are patient with others about. Again, I won't get into fellowship here with all the studies of that, but I am saying you are not indifferent to teaching. And I love brethren say, Larry, you taught something. Would you give me a book chat verse on that? Could we talk about it? You say, that's healthy. Good families work out problems. Good families talk about differences. And you see, in the church, the Word of God is very powerful in working through our problems if we have the conviction to talk about it and open the Word of God. You see, in the book of Galatians, Paul talked about there were a lot of Christians that simply were cowards. In Galatians 1.10, For I do not persuade men or God, do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And I am going to finish it at 10.15, so I'm, I'm not giving you the whole lesson here. We, we've got, I'll be dealing with this this afternoon, more of this. But notice here, you know what the problem was at Corinth, I mean, at, uh, in the churches of Galatia, there were Jews who had their whole life 
They have been taught circumcision. Their dad was circumcised. Their great-grandfather was circumcised. Their great-great-great-grandfather was circumcised. And now they've become Christians and Gentiles are coming into the church and the people are saying, you got to have the Gentiles circumcised. Oh, let's not worry about that. No, no, no. Paul says, no. The Lord did not give that command. And you're not going to teach with that which the Lord has not taught. And guess how the church reacted? There were some that loved... By the way, you could go to Acts 15 and see the resolution of this. But now notice, there were some brethren that were embarrassed by Paul. Galatians 5.11 And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. There are times in local congregations you got to work through doctrinal issues and some people are not going to like it and some people leave and I hope they don't leave. But if they do leave, bye. And I'm, I'm speaking this kindly. Good-hearted people, we can work out any problem on God's green, green, green earth and work it together. But there's some people, we're not going to have that kind of sharp teaching and they're, I'm not going to be here anymore. And I don't want people to leave, but sometimes people do need to live. If they don't have that devotion to God, understand what I'm saying. Notice, notice later, Galatians 6.12. And as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Now notice, we're talking about brethren. Why are they doing that? Only that they may not suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. You know what the hardest thing being a Christian is? Is our relationships. Particularly relationships when we see a person going down another path. Remember what Jesus said? you got to love me more than father and son and brother and sister. you got to love me more. And sometimes even within the church, somebody's let their heart drift. There comes a doctrinal question. You try to kindly deal with it. But there are going to be sometimes people... You know, oh no, my brother-in-law is going to be offended by this. Let's not talk about this. Oh, let's not talk about this. Please, let's just, let's just sweep that under the rug. You can't do that. You cannot do that within the church. We want to make in each local congregation for people to make faith their own. I want to, I want to conclude this morning in Hebrews 5. I, I did a whole series. And by the way, be one of the things, let me tell you what you do when you're dealing with doctrinal controversies correctly. I think doctrinal controversy is very healthy, healthy of the local church. With leadership, there's a place to deal with that and it's encouraging and we don't have to have everybody line up immediately. I'm just saying that's how that works. But why we want to build conviction is brethren, we're fighting Satan. And it talks about his fighting us in Ephesians 4. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. If Satan can't get you to not become a Christian, as a Christian, he's going to try to make you indifferent and unstable. And he's going to trick you. And Hebrews 5, and this will be the last verse. How do you measure spiritual growth? How do you measure spiritual growth? Here's how you measure it. Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. Okay, so here's somebody strong, somebody weak. Now notice, they can't be taught the whole Word of God. They're still on the ABCs. All right, now look at verse 13. 
For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So let me ask this question to you before we look at the next verse. How do you know if you're unskilled? Seriously. How do you know if you're unskilled in the word of righteousness? What is the test of that? We don't have to guess. The next verse tells us. But solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Discernment, application. There are many times, and I dearly love my wife and her help that she's been to me. Sometimes she say, Larry, you made this point. You used the wrong scripture. And I go look at it. Oh, you're right. I did. There's sometimes she'll say, you made this point. Can you give me the scripture where you get that from? And sometimes I'll say, and she goes, oh, I didn't know that. And so, you know, it works both ways. But it's very, very common as I'm teaching and others are teaching. We look at it and we're kind. We say, you know, brother, you said this. But I, again, it's not necessarily on doctrinal issues that are going to destroy the church, but we are, we are sharpening our minds. We're learning to apply a good, healthy church does that and we're not alarmed by it. I remember when I was Auburn, we'd have somebody visit and they're going, oh, that's strong preaching. I can't believe you're preaching that way. And I looked at him and I said, really? I said, this is just what we do. We try to have application to sermon. We try to be humble. You consider that strong preaching? I think that's what healthy preaching is. So follow me, what I'm saying. We want you to see it. We want you to grow. But we're not afraid to test things and talk about it with love. Sincere people. We, like I say, that's an exciting thing about Bible study. And so there's my thrust of my lesson. Now, I know there's more things. You know, I'll talk about the deception of Satan in this outline. And you can take it home and work with you. But you do not want to face Satan without the Word of God. He'll outsmart you. He'll fool you. And with the tragedy of people who are Christians that become fooled and they think they're serving God and they're fighting God, I'll talk about the, the thrust of that in this afternoon lesson of how the love of God keeps us from deception. So I'll, I'll come back and cover this stuff in, in that outline. But I think we've laid down the groundwork. Bible study is exciting. Bible study is challenging. And I tell you, you've got a group that promotes that kind of teaching and we have that kind of teaching amongst ourselves. I don't care about the numbers. That kind of conviction and love is edifying. And guess what? God may give us numbers in time. I really do think what you're doing here, people are hungering for. They just don't know you're here. <laughs> I do believe the application of the Word of God is extremely powerful. And so I hope I've encouraged you this morning. We'll go ahead and... Stop now. I did go two minutes over. Just I have to have to keep my tradition. Go a little bit over, and we'll go ahead and uh, and get ready for the assembly. Thank you.